0: So as I said at the beginning of the service, we're picking up our Elijah series tonight, Who is Like the Lord. I'm going to be reading from 1 Kings chapter 19, but before I read that, um, those particular verses, I want to review just a little bit of the story. It's a familiar story, so I'll go through it pretty quickly, but just to remind you where we've been a little bit. So the story of Elijah actually starts with King Ahab, King Ahab, who's king of Israel, And he marries a woman from the country of Sidon called Jezebel. And when Jezebel comes to the land of God's people, she brings a new God along called Baal. And Baal was the God of the weather. He was a God who was supposed to bring prosperity. So Ahab and more and more of the Israelites chose to follow Baal. So the Lord sent Elijah the prophet to tell Ahab, there will be no rain in this country until the Lord says so. So Baal, the God of weather, versus the Lord, the God of Israel. If Baal sends rain, he's the true Lord. If the Lord doesn't send rain, if the Lord keeps the rain away, then the Lord is the true God. And after Elijah delivers this message to Ahab, he has to run away, as people who get in trouble with kings tend to have to. And the Lord takes him out to a brook in the middle of a wild valley, and he provides for him. When the brook dries up, the Lord leads Elijah to go actually to Sidon, where Jezebel was from, and the Lord provides a widow, and her food miraculously doesn't run out. For years and years, Elijah and this widow and her family have enough to eat. And then, after several years, this widow's son dies, and through Elijah's prayers, the Lord brings that boy back to life. And then, after that, the Lord calls Elijah to go back and have a confrontation with Ahab. They do on Mount Carmel, it's several hundred prophets of Baal against Elijah, the Lord's only prophet. And Baal does nothing. All day, Baal does nothing. And then Elijah prays, and the Lord sends his fire and consumes the altar and the offering and everything on it. And he also sends rain. It seems like Elijah and the Lord have won. And Ahab and Elijah return to the city where Ahab lived in this victory procession. And then at the beginning of chapter 19, At the beginning of chapter 19, Queen Jezebel sends messengers to Elijah, basically saying, I'm going to arrange to have you killed. And Elijah panics, and he runs off. He basically resigns as a prophet. He heads out of the promised land. He goes out into the wilderness. He finds a tree, lays down underneath it, and says, God, please kill me. There's nothing left. Just please kill me. But the Lord provides food twice for Elijah, and then he calls him to go on this journey the journey ends at Mount Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai. And that's where the text for tonight picks up with Elijah at this mountain, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, whatever you want to call it. Elijah, the defeated, discouraged, despairing prophet, goes to this mountain. And you may remember from the book of Exodus, this is the mountain where God, where God let Moses see him, where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, where there was this incredible encounter with the Lord, and also where the people made a golden calf and worshipped it and got into all kinds of trouble. So we should hear some of those dynamics at this point. What is the Lord going to say to Elijah, and how is Elijah going to respond? Is he going to be like Moses or like Israel? Is he going to be stubborn or obedient? With that, let's read from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 to 21. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to, bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. This is God's word for us today. Tonight we're going to look at three points from this text Elijah's complaint, his comfort, and his commission. So, complaint, comfort, commission. First, the Lord listens to Elijah's complaint. Sometimes, at least in our house, we parents are kind of distracted when our kids are talking to us. We might be in the middle of washing the dishes or doing the laundry, cleaning out a closet, balancing the checkbook, whatever. Or sometimes we're just in the middle of a good book. And one of the boys will come up up to us and start telling a story or more often maybe start complaining about something their brother has done to them. And we as parents sort of start to pay attention, but then as the story goes on and on and on and the complaint gets more and more confusing, we kind of start to tune out. We nod, we shrug, and then at some point, the child realizes that you aren't actually listening. And now they have a new complaint. Dad, you aren't listening to me. You aren't hearing what I'm saying. This is a problem, and you aren't helping me with it. Sometimes when that happens, I realize that I actually don't know what the child has been saying because I tuned out so long ago, I don't even know what we're talking about. Their complaints really have gone unheard. Now, you get the sense in this text that Elijah feels a bit like that. He feels like the Lord isn't really hearing or seeing what's going on. He feels like the Lord can't really understand or he wouldn't do what he's doing. Elijah is deeply deeply disappointed. Up to this point, he's done pretty much everything the Lord has asked. It seemed like things were finally turning out right, but then Jezebel didn't admit defeat. And even after all of those great victories, the war wasn't over. And all of a sudden, Elijah is just done. Now, you can ask if Elijah's despair really fits the reality. He's won victory after victory, He's performed miracle after miracle in the Lord's power. There's some resistance left, but he should be just riding the wave onto final victory at this point based on what the Lord has done up to this point. But that's not how Elijah felt, and that's not how he reacted. Instead, he gives up. He basically resigned as a prophet. He feels like the situation is no good, and he's no good, And he just wants to lay himself down and die. So the Lord comes to him at that point earlier in chapter 19 and tells him to get up and go to the mountain. And you might expect when Elijah gets there and the Lord comes that the Lord would start with a lecture. The Lord might very well have reason to start by saying, you little idiot, and go on from there. Elijah is not being the most sensible person in the world at this point. The Lord would have some good reason to smack some sense into this wayward prophet. But that's not what God does. God doesn't start out with yelling and screaming. God started out with sending food to Elijah twice and then bringing bringing Elijah to the place where the Lord could meet with him. And then Elijah, excuse me, then the Lord opens with a question for Elijah. He opens with a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And then the Lord listens to Elijah's complaint. And Elijah has a complaint to offer. I've been very zealous for you, but the people, the people, they've broken your covenant, they've broken down your altars, they've killed your prophets, and I'm next. Now regardless of whether Elijah was totally justified in saying that, the Lord listens to his complaint. The Lord gives him a chance to say what he thinks is going wrong. The Lord invites Elijah to tell him, what are you thinking? Why are you here? What is going on? The Lord gives Elijah the opportunity to complain. And he listens. And the Lord listens to our complaints too, even today. A few years ago, I was talking to someone who'd been doing inner city ministry in a really tough context for a number of years. It was hard, hard work. He was working really hard to try to get a church to engage in new and helpful ways with the neighborhood. And it was slow, slow going. A lot of steps forward and a lot of steps back. And in one of our conversations, this guy said to me, You know, sometimes I feel like I have the greatest job in the world, but probably more often I feel like I should just resign, I should give the church all their money back, and I should just go work in a factory, because this is just tough. Elijah's not the only prophet He's not the only one who felt the need to just give up and go complain to God. And it's not like this is unique to people in ministry. I suspect a lot of us have times in our Christian walk when it feels like it would be a lot easier to just throw in the towel. Times when we feel like all we have left to do is complain. Sometimes we might feel this way when one of our besetting sins wins the next round against us. Maybe we feel that way when we feel like churches aren't going quite the right direction. Maybe most of all, we feel that way when we ourselves or people who we know well experience really serious suffering. It's hard. It's hard. Often when I make pastoral visits to people in the hospital, people say they don't understand what God is up to. They just don't understand why they have to suffer like this. And sometimes people say things like, God's got a lot to answer for. God's got a lot to answer for. I just don't understand this. And you kind of hear Elijah there. I've been very zealous for the Lord, but things have gone terribly wrong. And so we complain. And the Lord continues to listen to our complaints. The Lord even gives us the freedom to go And complain and lament to him. The Lord invites us to question why. To go to him and say, we know you're good, but why is this going on? My reality doesn't seem to make sense. And even at the times that we should be expressing gratitude instead of anger. Even at the times that we've just given up and stormed off. Even at those times, even at our most angry the Lord listens to our complaints. And then the Lord offers comfort. And in this text, the Lord comes and he comforts Elijah. In the first part of the text that we read for tonight, the first comfort that God, the Lord gives to Elijah is his divine presence. A great wind comes and tears up the mountain. God isn't in the wind. A mighty earthquake comes. God isn't exactly there. A great fire comes. And then finally, a gentle whisper comes. And then Elijah is privileged to go out and to meet with the Lord. Now, people disagree on why exactly the wind, the earthquake, and the fire are there. It could be that God is trying to say, don't look for me in the great big loud things. Look for me in the gentle whisper. But I think what is more going on there is God is building and building and building up to a climax. This is a God who can do all of these things. This is a God who made the world and can do whatever he likes, and he could do whatever he wanted with Elijah. But the Lord doesn't come to Elijah in fire or earthquake or wind and something that would unmake Elijah. Instead, the Lord comes to Elijah in a gentle whisper. When Elijah complains, the Lord comes and speaks to him. The Lord could wipe Elijah off that mountaintop in any number of ways. But instead, the word of the Lord comes gently and clearly to Elijah. And for a second time in that text, Elijah offers his complaint. And he offers exactly the same complaint. And then the Lord speaks again to Elijah. And in that second speech, there's two dynamics. One is that the Lord calls Elijah to get going. And we'll get to that dynamic in a little bit. But there's also the dynamic that the Lord just comes and he offers comfort to his servant. Elijah feels overwhelmed and alone. He feels defeated and just done. And the Lord doesn't scold him. The Lord doesn't say, go back and do it on your own. Instead, the Lord responds with, okay, okay. We'll do this together and you'll have And then the Lord shows Elijah how he's been at work. When Elijah thought he was the only one left, God had reserved 7,000 for himself. Instead of Elijah being the last lonely prophet, he's one of thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are still following the Lord. When Elijah feels defeated, the Lord listens to his complaint, and then he shows Elijah how his divine hand has been at work in the world. God's plans are way, way bigger than what Elijah realized. Elijah saw just one tiny, tiny little part of the whole picture. And the Lord says to him, there is so much more going on here. I have been at work in ways that you would never even have dreamed. The Lord comforts Elijah. And the Lord comforts us too when we go to him with our complaints. To begin with, the Lord comes to us with his word. And if we think of the word of God, there's a couple levels we can think about that. We probably should go first to Jesus. And God sent Jesus to come and meet with us. And Jesus didn't come as a king or an emperor. He didn't come as some blazing lit up guy who everyone could see was truly God in the flesh. He didn't come so much in wind or earthquake or fire. But Jesus came as a gentle humble servant. Jesus didn't conquer the world with armies and weapons. Jesus conquered all the powers of the world by suffering and dying, and then by rising again. When we were in trouble, the Lord himself came to us. And when Jesus went up to heaven, he didn't leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper, and he also gave us this book. He gave us the word of God in a way that we can hold on to, in a way that we always, always, always have access to. We sang one of the psalms earlier in this service. Thanks for picking that, by the way, Dave. We sang one of the psalms earlier in this service, and the psalms give us language that reassures us, that comforts us, and that even gives us words to pray back to God when we don't know quite what to say. So God comforts us with his word And I think God also comforts us with the reality that God is doing more than we can expect or know. God is always doing more than we can expect or know. One of the kind of classic attributes of God is that God is incomprehensible. God is incomprehensible. We can't comprehend Him. Now, in some ways, this is one of the more frightening attributes of God because if God is incomprehensible, that means we can't get our arms around Him. We can't control Him. We can't always nail Him down. We don't always see why God is doing this and then this and then this or why God is allowing that and then that and then that. God is bigger than we can understand. But... God being greater than we can comprehend, greater than we can get our arms around, another side of that is that that means God is able to work wildly, wildly beyond what we can ask or imagine or expect. God in his providence works things out in ways that sometimes we never even see in this life. At the times that we go to God and things just don't seem to make sense, we can know, we can truly know that God is at work. God is at work in ways beyond what we can understand, beyond what we can get our arms around, and beyond what we could even dare to hope for. God cares for us beyond how we could ever, ever guess. Now, we still have our complaints and our questions. They don't go away. But we have this comfort that God is truly greater than all our troubles and greater than anything else in the universe. After C.S. Lewis' wife, Joy, died an early death from cancer at a pretty young age, Lewis took to journaling. And those journals were eventually collected in a book called A Grief Observed. And in that book, especially early on, Lewis is angry he is toxically mad destructively angry hopelessly angry he is hurting and it feels like god doesn't answer over and over again he says things like i try to pray and the door is shut is god real even why did god let this happen this doesn't make any sense god must be mean why did I ever follow a God like this? But over the course of those few months of journaling, as you walk through the book with Lewis, the tone shifts. Lewis finds his footing again. He looks back over those times that were horrible and hard, and he sees God's hand at work again. In the midst of his troubles, he couldn't always hear, he didn't always want to listen to what God had to say. But then after a few months... After a year or so, maybe, he could start to see how God had been at work even in the midst of such, such hard things. Now, I don't think Lewis ever found a clear answer for why his wife died, how and when she did. But what he found was comfort to keep going. He never got all the answers, but he found enough comfort to keep going. And that's often where we end up. The Lord comforts us enough for us to keep going. Enough to keep going. What we need for today. And then the Lord, well, he doesn't just leave us there. He calls us to keep going. And the Lord commissions Elijah to go. The Lord pulls back the curtains. He shows Elijah how he's been at work. He shows how other people are going to carry the work on. But wrapped up in that is a call for Elijah to get going again. The Lord comforts Elijah, but he doesn't just let him sit around and mope. There comes a time to stop the retreat and get back to the fight. So the Lord sends Elijah back, but he doesn't send him to fight alone. Elijah's job is to go and to anoint others to carry on the work. So Elijah is supposed to go and anoint two kings and another prophet. And those two kings both play a significant role in the downfall of King Ahab. And that prophet, Elisha, becomes Elijah's disciple. And in the end, Elisha did much, much more than Elijah ever did. 2 Kings tells us that Elisha received a double portion of Elijah's power of his spirit. When Elijah's strength had run out, God commissioned him to go. And God sent others to help carry the burden. And in some ways, that's the whole story of the Bible in miniature. Elijah's name means, the Lord is my God. The Lord is my God. Elijah is a committed servant of the Lord, but after a while, his strength runs out. He can't do it anymore. And so God provides some helpers for him. And one of those helpers is named Elisha. And Elisha's name means, my God saves, or my God is my salvation, or my God is my savior. Elisha points forward to Jesus. Jesus is the true Elisha for all of us. When we've run out of strength, the Lord provides Jesus. We all hit dead ends. We all have those moments when we just can't keep going. None of us could get all the way there on our own. And so God provided, God provided Jesus to be our Savior, to provide the salvation and the help that we need. So the Lord commissions Elijah to go, and he also calls us to keep going. The Lord calls us to keep going. We're called to keep serving the Lord. So when you, would, when you hit hard times, certainly we're called to go and to complain to the Lord, and he comforts us, but we're also called to not get stuck to not give up we're allowed to complain we're allowed to have our times of retreat but then the Lord calls us to keep going again and we can keep going because the Lord provides us with the help that we need the Lord works things out beyond what we can see or understand the Lord has provided us with Jesus to help us on the way and the Lord provides us with other people to help us on the way to. So, if you're at that point that Elijah was at, if you feel like you just want to go find a tree to lay under and say, God, it's over. I can't do this anymore. It's, it, it's finished. I just can't do it anymore. Well, turn to the Lord and turn to His people. If you're really struggling, share that with your small group or get in a small group. Talk to one of us pastors here, talk to an elder, talk to a Stephen minister. There are people who have been commissioned by God to walk with you on this hard path. If you're in a tough place, reach out, and God provides help. And if you're in a good place, if you're in a place where you feel like you're really clicking with God and your walk with God is going well, then there's another call. There's a call for you to get to work. So if you're in a good place right now, ask yourself, who's the next person you can help? What's the next thing God is calling you to? Is there someone whose life you can speak into? Is there someone who you can help to shape into a greater follower of God? What is the Lord calling you to go and do? So the Lord invites us to bring our complaints to Him, and He always listens to them with far more grace than we could ask or deserve. And the Lord gives us true, deep comfort by His word, And by his providential action. And finally, the Lord calls us to keep going. And he provides the help we need on that journey. Complaint, comfort, commission.